0: It's good to see you. Happy Mother's Day to all of you. If you're a guest, I'm David. I'm the pastor. We're glad you're here. And I hope you have a great Mother's Day. I really do. To all your moms, we appreciate you, all that you do, and love you. And I know for some, Mother's Day can be a little bit tough. Maybe you've lost a, a mom or maybe lost a child, you know, recently. But it's still a great time of celebration and a time to celebrate All that happens in our life. And I was really fortunate that I had a mom who was fantastic. She was a little eccentric at times. She could do some wacko things, but she did pretty good. All the good stuff you see in me is because of my mom or my wife. All the bad stuff you see in me is because, well just because of me, I guess. But uh, we're celebrating family this month. It's cool. We're in a series entitled The Big Messy because family life is messy. And I shared with you last week, we just started off on marriage because marriage is important, man. I mean, God, God created marriage for us. And as we were in that sermon entitled Looking Out, I mean, in that sermon, uh, that was entitled Waiting on a Woman because to start off, Adam was waiting on Eve. He was all alone waiting on that woman. And uh, what I shared with you is that for life to work, God made it so a man needs a woman, and a woman needs a man. Before sin ever entered the world, that's what we want, a man and a woman to spend their life together. I created a series last year, about a year ago. That's what I do. Everything's about a year in advance. And I actually had a different sermon picked out at one time. And then months ago, I kind of changed it. I'm thinking, you know, where I want to go with it. And um, I just began thinking somehow. I've been thinking about songs, and I was thinking about actually You know, my my graduating class, I graduated from Churchill High School in 1979 in San Antonio, Texas. And uh, like every class, we had a class model, we had a class song. And you pick your class song like your junior year, so you have it in your senior year. And our class song, when it came out, we're like, who picked this? I mean, I had a class of almost 900 people. Nobody knew who picked our song. How did we get this song? I mean, to this day, at reunions, whatever, nobody knows how we get this song. Now, the song came from a fantastic group. It came from BTO. Now, those of you that have not grown up with great music, BTO is Bachman, Turner, Overdrive. It is a fantastic. They had some great songs that could have been our class song. They could have had, you know, You Ain't Seen Nothing Yet. Oh, man, that would have been so good. Or Let It Ride. That would have been cool. Or Taking Care of Business. What a great class song. Or my favorite BTO song. Rolling down the highway, rolling down the highway. I love that song because, I mean, a few weeks back, I'm on 70, I'm coming back into town. I mean, it's a beautiful day, I got the sunroof back, wind is down, listening to a little classic vinyl. And all of a sudden, rolling down the highway comes on. And I'm like, okay, if that's what I need to do. I took it as a sign, not from God, but I just took it as a sign. So I punched that accelerator, and I want you to know, when I'm rolling down the highway, I hit, I probably hit, I don't know, I want to say at one point I hit, 55 miles an hour, maybe, you know. (laughs) I hit it with a sledgehammer, ran over it, backed up, and did it a few more times, you know. I'm just, we're rolling, but it wasn't that song. The song we picked out for our class song was looking out for number one. We're like, who picked that song? And of course, we caught so much flack from people. Oh, you man, you spoiled kids from Churchill picking out, looking out for them, number one. That's just y'all. And I'm like, and we're all like, we didn't pick this on. But when you come, I'm thinking about all this. I'm like, but that's exactly how we live our lives. Every culture, every group, every person, and every family, at some point, you start looking out for number one. And there came a time in the life of King David when he put aside God and he put aside his family and he was looking out for number one. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 7 through 14. And here's what I want you to see in the message today. Our sin may have a lasting and devastating impact on our family and everyone we love. In our sin, we make life messy. We make Life, messy. So I'm going to begin the message today, sharing this with you that it all falls on David. What well, we're about to see all falls on David, and no one but David. Now, here's the thing: I I look at some things in the Old Testament, you know, and God is a consistent God; He never changes. But there are things that are hard to understand, and, and it's because I live, you know, as the follower of Jesus. In fact. Here's the thing, when you live on this side of the cross, sometimes it's hard to understand that side of the cross. Because we live on this side of the cross where we have the full revelation of God. He's revealed himself to us completely, his love, his mercy, his forgiveness, we see all of that. But on the other side of the cross, while all those are true, they don't have that revelation. They don't see God the way we see him. And sometimes in the way God has to deal with them, it comes across as being harsher than maybe we understand. We gotta realize we're going back 3,000 years to 1000 BC, give or take. And in that world, people were what we would call pagans. I mean, most everybody worshiped the gods with their own imaginations. They created the gods and goddesses that they worshiped. And because the gods and goddesses didn't exist, the gods and goddesses couldn't reveal anything about themselves. How could they? They're non-existent gods. And so they just made stuff up. And what they made up about the gods were really the qualities and traits and attributes of them, of of people. And they kind of had these blown up superhuman type powers and ways about themselves. I mean, you know, you you, you see them. (laughs) That was pretty cool in church. You delivered flowers to your mom or grandma. You get standing up, buddy. That's just really great. (laughs) You showed up. Everybody in here, man. Every guy here hates you right now. Man, I want to do that. Makes me look bad. All you guys, ever this whole section, you're just <laughs> embarrassing compared to this section over here. But at least one person brought flowers. That is great. Cool. Thumbs up. I just noticed that, so I thought I'd comment on it. Because you deserve, even if it embarrasses you, I really don't care. <laughs> and so the pagans, we'll go back. That brings you back to pagans. The pagans, you know. <laughs> The pagans and and the gods were jealous and envious and lustful and cruel. And they had no no relationship with the gods. They don't exist. You can't. And there was no aspect of love. And there was no aspect of forgiveness. And and their worship and their sacrifices were about manipulating the gods. And their gods had no real power. And then you had Israel. And Israel had God, the one God, the only God, Yahweh. And God is holy. And he reveals himself, and he's loving, and he's merciful, but he's also just, and God always deals with sin. And God was something else, something that was missing in the pagan gods and goddesses. He was sovereign. He was in control. Now, because they had limited understanding of God, they attributed everything to God, good and bad. So if something bad happened in your life, that was because God God was doing that. It was God's will. He was a sovereign God. And, and, you know, on this side of the cross, I look at that and say, well, that's not always the case. However, I understand their understanding of God, their understanding of God was limited. And so they're going to err on the side of God being sovereign. And in 1000 BC, Israel was the greatest nation in the world. And they had a king that was so good, David. Oh, he was such a good king. I mean, you read up the stories of David. How cool is that? You know, he was just, he was the son. He was the eighth son of a guy who was not that prominent. He was just a shepherd, a young shepherd boy. You know, God picked him. You have the whole Goliath thing. And people love David. And David was just fantastic. And he was a great king. And you get all that. He loved God and God loved him. He was a man after God's own heart. And by the way, God never stopped loving David. In the story we're going to see, God never stopped loving David. David never stopped loving God. Let me share this with you. God never stops loving us. Your life is messy. God still loves you. Doesn't mean he's happy with you. It's not mean he's pleased with what you're... He was not happy with David. He loved David. God can love you and not be pleased with where you are in life. That's possible. In fact, that happens, I think, all too often in my life. He loves me, but I know he's probably not all that pleased with me at the moment. And that happened to David. And David, come to 2 Samuel chapter 11, that thing with Bathsheba. Now, back on April 16th, I preached a standalone message between two series. And it was on David's sin with Bathsheba. It was not connected with this. I just preached it. And uh, David saw Bathsheba. She was the wife of a guy named Uriah the Hittite. He was one of David's 30 mighty men. Great soldier. Friend of David. Lived a couple of houses down and David, David and Uriah was close, but he saw Bathsheba, he wanted her, and he took her. And she went of her own. She went of her free will too. And then she got pregnant and he decided, well, I'll fix that. I'll bring Uriah back. He can sleep with her, but Uriah wouldn't do it. So he had Uriah killed. And then he brought Bathsheba into her home, his home. In chapter 12. Months have passed, and we're a few weeks from the birth of the child, and the prophet Nathan shows up. Oh, Nathan's a big boy prophet. Oh, he is David's personal prophet. He has access to David all the time. He shows up and says, King. I tell you something, man, there's this guy, he's a family and they're dirt poor, but they have this little lamb that they've raised. They love the lamb. Would, this would strike to David, the shepherd boy, because man, they love their Their sheep were like pets, man. And they would have a hundred. I mean, can you imagine having a hundred dogs in your house? Some of you have cats like that. I know, man. <laughs> and he said, they love the sheep. And there's the guy next door and he had herds and flocks. He was rich. And he had a guy come visit him and he wanted to fix a meal so he took the little sheep, the little lamb from the poor guy and slaughtered it. Man, David was ticked. got you know, Months of being separated from God. Months of frustration. Months of, of, months of the turmoil. And he just blew up and said, that guy deserves to die. And he'll repay what he took fourfold over. And probably was thinking that cat better never come in my presence. Which brings us then... To verse seven, Nathan said to David, "David, you are the man. Uriah had one wife, the love of his life, and you took her. And if that wasn't enough, David, you killed him. And by your own admission, David, you should die for what you." but you will pay for it four times over. And then God speaks through Nathan. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, it is like, God says, it's me, David. Everything I'm about to describe is me. Didn't come from you. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. You were just a poor shepherd boy. You were the eighth son of a guy with no account, man. And I brought you out of that. I anointed you king over Israel. I set you apart. It was me, David. I delivered you from the hands of Saul. When Saul was trying to kill you and you were running, he almost got you several times. But who do you think delivered you? I did. And David knew it. And David praised him. David even wrote songs about what God did. I gave you your master's house. That means everything he had. I gave you his wives until you care. That means everything about what Saul had came under David's authority. And I gave you. Gave you the house, the kingdom of Israel and Judah. And David, 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 if that had been too little, I would have given you anything else you wanted. I'd have given you more than these. All you had to do was ask. David, it was yours. Why then? Why, David? Have you despised or looked down on or rejected the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight. The word of the Lord. Some think it's the Ten Commandments because it's do not murder, or not commit adultery. And it's probably that in part. Some think it's the word of God as he's revealed himself to him. But I would just simply say this. The word of the Lord here probably represents the full relationship of David and God. All that God had ever shared with David. Through prayer, through song, through the prophets, through whatever. David, you've done evil. That which is more, morally objectionable in front of me. Why did you do that? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite. You had him killed with a the sword. Then you took his wife to be your wife. Not only that, let me go back. You had him killed with the sword of the sons of Amnon. Amnon were vicious, vile, godless pagans. You had him exposed, not in an honorable death. You had him butchered by those godless pagans. You did that, David. Now, therefore... The sword will never depart from your house. There will always be violence. You read, read the rest of David's story. Here's violence everywhere. And before, the violence was always David fighting other people. Now the violence would come to his house. Because why? You despised me. And you took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. You did all of this so you could take her. Well, he's not through yet. Thus saith the Lord, behold. I will raise up evil against you from your own household. Now, that doesn't mean God's going to do evil, but David brought evil into the situation. He went out, adultery, murder. He brought the evil, and God's saying, all right, man, you bring the evil. The evil's coming to you. Did it all the time. When, when the Israelites worshiped the pagan gods and goddesses of the foreign nations, he had the foreign nations come and defeat them. He said, David, you brought the evil. All right, evil's coming. It's going to come on your whole family. It's going to come from your family. I will take your wives before you rise, and I will give them to your companion, somebody close to you. That would be your son, Absalom. He will lie with your wives in broad daylight. I'll talk about that in a minute. Indeed, you did all this secretly. But I will do this before all of Israel under the sun in broad daylight. They will all see David. You're about to pay. Your family's about to pay for the sin and the disgrace and the humiliation you brought upon these people and upon me, who would have given you anything you wanted, but you took what was not yours. And then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. It's not complicated. I don't know if he said more than that, and this is all we have. But he said, you know what? I've sinned that must have been hard i mean i can't imagine the emotion i know the times in my life when when i've sinned against god and i finally came to that place of repentance and confession it was it was terror it was brokenness it was relief it was finally it's out there out of this event he wrote psalm 51 I know Psalms, of the 150 Psalms, 23 is the most favorite and the best. Of the remaining 149, Psalm 51 is the most important. He says, God, against you, and you only have I sinned. Only against you, and then what is evil in your sight. You are right, God, when you punish me. He says, man, I've sinned. That is repentance. Oh, it didn't go into elaborate, the elaborateness of it all. It's just, I've sinned. And he knew it. And the man after God's own heart admitted what he did. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has taken away your sin and you shall not die. He is a gracious and kind God. You deserve to die, David. You pronounce that yourself, but I'm gonna take take death away. Doesn't mean you're gonna escape the consequences. It doesn't mean your family's gonna escape the consequences. He's already declared what will happen. But David, you won't die. But however, one more thing. Because by this deed, you have been given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, to slander. Now understand that all those pagan nations, you know, the Israelites said we have this one true God. David has this relationship with this God. It's an honorable God. It's a loving God. It's a moral God. It's a God that has a sense of right and wrong. You have caused them to slander you, to, to slander Yahweh, to slander the one true Lord. To say that God's no different than the other God. Because children were a blessing. And in essence, God allowed David to do all these things. And for her to have a baby and then to come into his house, I mean, that's, they're going to say, "How was God, how is Yahweh different than Molech or Chemosh or, or Dagon or any of those gods? They're going to slander and blast because you have done this, David. The child also that is born to you will die. And that is hard. And I read that, and I'm like, God, that's harsh, man. I mean, God, I understand, I love you, and I I trust you, God, I do. I'm on this side of the cross, I completely trust God. But man, God, the child dying, you know, I'll be honest with you, I, I, I understand, I do. But the head understands, the heart struggles. I struggle with that. Because the heart doesn't quite understand. Now, every time I say about something about God that I don't understand something, almost every time, one or two people come to me after a service and say, well, pastor, let me explain to you what happened. I'm listen, you don't have to explain to me. I got it. (laughs) You don't need to explain. I understand what happened probably better than you do. But right here, it's hard. It's hard. Before I tell you why, let me explain what happened next. Over a period of several chapters, a lot of history is condensed. But one of David's sons, Amnon, follows the lead of his father. He had a half sister from another wife of his dad named Tamar and he lusted after her and he wanted her. Now, as where David wanted Bathsheba and invited her to come and she came willingly. He did not force himself upon her. Amnon forced himself upon Tamar. And whereas David would eventually bring Bathsheba into his home in love and compassion, Amnon would cast Tamar away in disgrace. And David did nothing. Nothing. He let it go. And Tamar's brother Absalom couldn't take it, so he went to eventually, and he killed Amnon. He killed him. And David did nothing to Absalom. Eventually, Absalom decided to have a civil war against his father David. And that's when he took the wives, the concubines of David's, and put them on the top of a roof and slept with someone in broad daylight, claiming David's throne as his own. David had to flee, but David, David's guys defeated Amnon and killed Amnon. I mean, Absalom. Absalom died. And by the way, that's two of the fourfold sons who died, both because of their sin. I get it. David, king again. First Kings, David's dying. And somewhere along the way, evidently, when David and Bathsheba had another son, Solomon, David promised that Solomon could be king. But only the problem was Adonijah wanted to be king, one of his other sons. So Adonijah decided to have kind of a mini coup. And with the help of Joab and Abiathar, two of David's trusted men, he set himself up as king. And Bathsheba came running to David. uh, Adonijah just set himself up as king. If that happens, you know when you die, he's gonna kill me, he's gonna kill your son Solomon. And David said, no, no, Solomon's king. And he just stated Solomon as king and everybody knew. And so Adonijah had to come and ask Solomon for forgiveness. The problem was when David died, Adonijah tried to take part of the kingdom of David in a particular way. And so Solomon had to have Adonijah killed. That's three of the fourfold punishment of David. Now I want you to think about the son that was born to David and Bathsheba. He was illegitimate. Hey, there's, there's, in that world, he's illegitimate. Children were seen as a blessing from God, only he couldn't ever be seen as a blessing from God, and he would have at some point, most likely, laid claim to the throne of David. Can you imagine in all of Israel, an illegitimate son of David laying claim to the throne? What if instead of Solomon then, it became this guy that Bathsheba said, David, I want him to be king. That could have never happened it would have been a disaster far worse than anything else that could have happened. So God made a judgment because whatever was going to happen was going to be bad. Nothing good was coming out of all of this. And God in his wisdom in his mercy and his justice understood the child had to die. And it wasn't because of God, it was because of David. Listen to me. David lived for self when he should have lived for God and people suffered, including an innocent child. But innocent people were suffering no matter who it was going to be. And in the wisdom that only God can have, he could see what had to be done. And while it was tough to understand, get this. This is on David. It's not on God. It's all on David. Which brings me to the second thing I want to share with you. We make things so messy. In our lives, we just make things so messy. You know? We, we take that job we shouldn't take because it's going to pay us more money, but it's going to take us away from our family and make our family life miserable, and it's, it's going to put us in situations that are ethically compromising, but we take it. Or we, we make that move you know, we shouldn't make, even though nobody, my family doesn't want us to go, and we uproot everything we have in life. We think our lives will be better, and we, and we make a move we should never make, or we start a relationship with someone we should never start. It doesn't have to be someone the opposite sex. It could be a guy becoming friends with another guy, and that guy is just a reprobate and a half, and he's just going to lead you astray, but you do it anyways. You just start relationships. You shouldn't start with people, and they ruin your lives. Or you decide that you're going to abuse a substance you shouldn't abuse, you know, and and you go from simply having a party life to abusing, and and your life just gets destroyed. And then that happens, and the mess comes, and we want to blame God. Well, God, why'd you let this happen? <laughs> we want the freedom from God to live however we want. But we didn't blame God when we face an unavoidable result of our rebellious freedom. I deal with this all the time. I don't want to do things, God. I'm my life, I live however I want. Why did God let all this happen? <laughs> because he lets you live however you want. Why didn't God do anything? Well, he tried to do something. He gave you scripture to stop you. He gave you, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit. If you're not a Christian, he even worked in your conscience. He sent people into your life to warn you. You came to church today and the preacher warned you. He did do something. You decided to sin anyways. I'll tell you something. Sin is cruel. And innocent people suffer because of sin. And this isn't God's fault. Oh, no. It's our fault. In my life, people have suffered because of my sin. And that wasn't on God. In fact, I have a feeling that in many ways, God protected them from suffering far worse than they could have. In fact, I know in some instances, God protected the people in my life from suffering worse than they did because of his grace and mercy. Now, we can not do things. As I say all the time, man, you, you know, You can't change the past, but you can move forward. But it doesn't mean moving forward, there aren't consequences. So we can repent like David, and we should repent, and repentance is important. But repentance doesn't make everything go away. In fact, this. In fact, here it is. Repentance doesn't remove the earthly consequences of our sin. Repentance changes our relationship with God, and that's important. And some of the earthly consequences may be removed. But repentance doesn't guarantee that. Repentance does guarantee Your relationship with God will be restored. So what do you do in life when you're in the big mess you're in? I suggest from this story and also because we live this side of the cross, I can suggest something from there too. Let me suggest two things to you. First, make your way back to God. Repentance, restoration, accountability, renewal. This is what David did. He repented. He renounced his sin. And then restoration began. God began restoring his life back together. Now, it didn't happen overnight. You read the story of David. There was a lot of problems, but his life began to be restored. By the time you get to the end of David's life, he is fully where he needs to be as king. But there was also accountability. David accepted accountability. He did it. He was responsible for all this. You see this constantly in David. Later on in David's sin, the county men, David said, God, I'm accountable for it. They didn't. Don't let them suffer. It's on me. At some point, you've got to be held accountable. You've got to admit you're the one that held accountable. And that it should be you who suffer, and not anyone else. And then there's also the renewal, the renewal of life. That renewal is different than restoration. Renewal is that relationship with God that's renewed. You know, at the, the times in my life where I've sinned and I've come to repentance, the renewal has been immediately. It's, just, it's like the burden is gone, and I look at the waters, and they look so calm. My relationship with God is right where it needs to be. That's what you need in your life, to come back to God. But not only that, there's something else. You need to reconcile with those you've hurt. And with reconciliation comes forgiveness, comes responsibility and trust. You need to go to the people you've hurt and ask them to forgive you. No, they may not forgive you, I get that, but that's on them. If if, if you ask for forgiveness and they don't forgive you, you should not feel bad. That's not your issue anymore. You ask for forgiveness. I've had people not forgive me, but it's on them. My conscience is clear. You also need to take full responsibility. <laughs> David, David, you, know, you don't really see David as reconciling with people in this. This is more from the New Testament concept. But David didn't say, Well, God, yeah, but you know, Bathsheba was a part of this, you know. She didn't have to come to the palace. No. Full responsibility is yours. You can't, you can't in ask for asking forgiveness, say, forgive me, but you and I did this together. <laughs> it's on you. And then you have to rebuild trust. And sometimes they may never trust you. i think couples sit there and, you know, one of them is unfaithful and the other one said, I can't ever trust them again. I'm so, okay, I get that. I understand. And the other person just has to live with that. But you still live, you still try to be someone that can be trusted. I mean, you've got to build those relationships back. Because they matter. They're important in your life. Like I said, you can't, you can't fix everything. I get that. But from this day forward, life can be different. The next marriage can be better. You know, some of you, I know you're there. You're, my, wife's, my, mama's, my, so my wife's second marriage was better than her first. My wife only had one marriage. My mama's second marriage was better than her first. It was better. You can, you, you can always move forward. But there's one other thing that I would share with you. Some of you are not in that mess yet, but you're thinking about it. Oh, that temptation is getting so close. And you're weighing it in your mind. Understand this. It is easier to never make the mess than to have to clean it up. <laughs> it's easier not to do it. I know you want to. I get it. I'm with you. You're like, I think I can, I think I can do this and it'll be okay. I may have to dodge that. I may, have to, I, may have to, I may have to finagle this. I may have to adjust a few things, but I think David, I think I can get away with it, maybe for a little while, but sooner or later, oh, man, it catches you. It's better to never make the mess than to clean it up later. And so, beginning the message today, saying our sin can have lasting and devastating impact on people we love, our family. And in our sin, we make life a mess. Some of you are there today, aren't you? you made a mess of your life. What in the world can you do? Well, God loves you. Oh, he loves you. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, and I haven't talked about it, Jesus, Jesus loves you. Jesus doesn't care how big a sinner you are. He still loves you. Sometimes Christians forget that Jesus loves people who don't follow him. He loves them so much that he died for them just like he died for us because we didn't follow him all the time either. And maybe the solution to your mess is gonna be you gotta start by coming to Jesus. Not saying everything gets better tomorrow, but you gotta come to Jesus. Why don't you do that in your life? And some of you, it's time for you to make your way back to God and repent. Some of you need to go reconcile with someone you've hurt along the way. That's your next step. Go make that reconciliation. Some of you, you got a really good opportunity before you today to say, I'm not going to make the mess. I'm going to walk away. In a moment, I'll be here. A couple of others people will be here. Ladies, if you'd like to talk to another woman, there'll be another woman here. And if you want to come and pray with us for yourself or come and pray for someone you love and care about or if you want to join our church or whatever you want to do, you can do that. But remember this. Don't walk out of this place today looking out for number one. Because you do that, I promise you. You will make life messy. So Father, this is a tough passage. And I don't know that I ever fully understand it. But I know you love and care for us. And you'll take the brokenness of our life. You'll take the mess of our life and you'll make it where it should be. You'll restore us. And you renew us. And we can have the relationship with you that matters if we will but repent of our sins. So let us repent and turn to you. And let us come to Jesus who loves us in his name. Amen. Would you stand?